There was an interesting thing about that video, though. There's one question that I didn't get from them. I mean, he, he sort of asked it, but I don't think he was asking it the way we tend to ask it when we go through suffering or we go through pain. Anybody got an idea? When you go through something hard, what's the first thing you tend to do? Why? Why? Why me? Uh, he, he, was, I, he sort of asked that. He said, uh, we asked, why did we do something? You guys ever have that uh, sort of experience where if something bad happens to you, your, your first question is, why me? I must have done something. I, this isn't anything like this at all. It's very difficult to compare any suffering that I've been through to something like that. But when I was a kid, I was a really big Atlanta Falcons fan, okay? And, uh, and the Falcons, the, at this time, uh, when I saw them, when I was in middle school or high school, something like that, the Falcons... Uh, were what they called, they, they had a season or two where they called them the Miracle Falcons, okay? And the Miracle Falcons, the reason they called them the Miracle Falcons is because they weren't quite a good enough team to dominate the other team. The games were always really, really close. <laughs> like every game was really close. And then uh, they'd always like, there'd be like two minutes left and my buddy Steve Barkowski, who was the quarterback back then, would would throw some Hail Mary up or something like that. Some guy in the end zone would tip it. Some guy would catch it and, and they'd win. And invariably they won like nine games that year, which is the best at that time an Atlanta team had ever done at anything ever. Okay. And so I remember how I used to think as a kid, as a, as a young church going boy, I used to watch the Falcons on Sunday afternoon. Invariably they would get down to the fourth quarter, get down to the last couple of minutes and, uh, and, They'd be losing by like three points or two points or four points or something. And I think, you know what? If I did everything right, maybe they'll pull it out. Another miracle, right? So I remember going around the house and asking everybody in the house to forgive me for whatever I had done that day. See, this was my limited understanding of God. That I would say, okay, if I ask everybody to forgive me and I'll be square with God, God will put his hand of blessing on the Atlanta Falcons and they will pull it out. They'll pull another miracle out. And you know what? A number of times it actually worked. It really worked. I mean, I would immediately be like two and a half minutes left. We'd be losing. I'd go to my mother. Mom, I'm so sorry that I, that I was fresh with you yesterday. Or dad, I'm so sorry that I forgot to take the garbage out. And I'd go real fast in the last commercial break before the game ends. Go real fast. Ask everybody to forgive you. Get square with God. And then I'd pray. I'd sit in front of the TV. Oh, Lord, let him pull it out. I love the Falcons. I mean, I was very passionate about it, right? Oh, Lord, let him pull it out. Let him pull it out. Let him pull out a victory. And invariably, about six of the ten times I did that, Barkowski would throw up some Hail Mary and they'd actually win. And so for a long time, I, I began to think that way of God. Somehow they happened to win, Right? And, I, and as a kid, I began to think, well, this is how it works then. When you do good, good stuff happens. But if you do bad, you suffer. Now, there's a certain element of that that's actually true, right? I mean, when you really get down, think about all the pain that has happened in your life. Okay, this is a heavy day. Just think for a second. Think about all the pain that has happened in your life. I bet in the high 90 percentile, because it's true with me, high 90 percentile of that pain was caused by some stupid decision I made or you made. Anybody relating to that besides me? Oh, come on, one person? Really? Don't you really think that the majority of our suffering in life, our pain in life, is due to dumb decisions, either by us 
or by decisions that other people make that affect us. Do you think that's true? Am I, am I on the right track there? Nod at me if you think I'm right. Okay. All right. But then there's that other small percentage, right? <laughs> I didn't do nothing. Nobody did nothing. Nobody did, committed a sin or something. It just happened. Bad stuff just happened. Like he asked in that video, is there something we did? Did we eat? Did we drink too much Diet Coke? Did we, you know, do we have too many plastics in our house? Did we, and I've had these questions too, is because I, m- many of you know, I have a son with autism. Well, when he was born with autism and we began to find that, find that out, it was a very tough time for us. And I began to think, well, it's all that Diet Coke I drank. You know, because who knows, right? Who knows? Is it something I did? Is it something you did that brought your pain? Most of the time. Or somebody else made a decision. But what about the times when you just had pain? Stuff just happened. Now, isn't this the classic question that people are always asking of God? When you go and you talk, if you ever have this opportunity to have a discussion about spiritual things and God and Jesus with people who don't yet know Him, isn't one of the classic responses always, well, how can a good God allow suffering in the world? Isn't that the classic response? Well, it's a good question. It's a very good question. And you know what? I don't have a great answer. Now, just to tell you a little bit about me, there's two schools of thought in, in Christendom, in the church. Two, two basic schools of thought. There's the people that think when God says he's in charge, he causes everything. Pain, sorrow, joy, happiness. He causes those things. He's manipulating those things. He's moving the pieces around the board, so to speak, and making stuff happen. And it's all to some grand purpose that he has. And then there's the other school in the church that says people make choices and God allows us to make choices. You know what? Both schools have some really smart people in them. So I am not here to tell you this age-old question that the church has been fighting about for centuries. Who's right? I have no idea. I'm just going to tell you what I believe. Okay? And you don't have to believe this. I'm just telling you from my perspective, I do not believe that God brings bad stuff. Now, before you draw a conclusion, let's think about it. We all have our disagreements about what bad stuff is. But when I watch that video and a little baby dying, I just call that bad. That's just bad. That's not like God up there spanking somebody. I just choose to believe, and I, and I think I got a lot of scripture that backs up my point of view, that... God doesn't cause that. Bad stuff happens. We live in a fallen world. Adam took that fruit from his wife, took a big, fat, juicy bite, and we've all been suffering ever since. We all inherit that. I believe that. This is how... Now, you don't have to believe like I do, but that's just how I believe. So as we go on today, that's sort of the perspective I'm going to go from. So if, if... Stuff just happens because we live in a fallen world and then stuff happens for our bad decisions. Most of it happens because people's bad decisions, ours or other people's, or stuff just happens and I can't figure it out. Well, these are deep questions. This is hard stuff. And it's stuff we need to wrestle with. I mean, if every time something bad happens, I got to go around and apologize for stuff I did wrong, I'm toast. If I have to do good, good luck with that. I do good, good stuff happens. Good luck with that. 
So there's disagreement. Some would say, well, God is working out some grand plan. Others like me would say, stuff happens. Or we make bad choices. But this we have in common. And this is the truth. Suffering is coming to everybody. Whether you want to attribute it to the hand of a great big God moving pieces around a board, or whether you want to attribute it to something else altogether, or human choices altogether, suffering is coming. We got that in common. Thanks, buddy. Here, hold this, Nate. There we go. I need it back. All right? Keep your finger right there. All right? Okay, actually, Nate, I'll just use this. Can you set me up? Turn this troublesome thing off. Never to be spoken of again. So we can all agree, can, and can we just nod our heads together? If you are on one side of the issue or the other, can we just nod our heads and say, suffering's coming? It's coming. Like I said, 100% of you, 100% of you today are going through some form of suffering. Whether your team's losing, the Falcons, that's suffering, that's some real suffering. Or whether it's all the way to something as extreme and horrible as a little baby dying of some strange disease. Now the question is, if we know, if we agree that suffering's coming, what do we do? Because this is what I found. Asking God why, it doesn't make my world any better. Asking God, why did this happen? It doesn't make the situation any better. Knowing the answers doesn't make my, my sorrow any less. It doesn't make my pain any less. Anybody relating to that besides me? If you knew the answer why that thing happened way back when, that thing that changed your life, you know, the really, really, really bad thing, does it take that thing away? Does it take the pain away? I don't think so. And so then the question is, well, what do we do now? How do I deal with this this thought that we are living, you and I are living in two worlds. We have suffering here now, daily, all of us. And yet, there's this idea that there's a divine world working to bring us comfort. There's a God who is above all that suffering to comfort you and I. Well, Paul gives us a clue in the passage I read earlier. And it says, uh, let me just read from verse 3 again. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Everybody say all comfort. It's very important that you remember that. All comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. All our troubles. Okay, right there, we could go home. That's good news right there. If we have a God of all comfort, how do, how do I interpret that? I say He comforts us in everything and He has an endless supply of comfort. Anybody ever... Uh, how many parents of young children do we have in the room? Raise your hand. Okay. Your, your little kid... Falls down, skins his knee. How many of you know that little kids take all your energy all the time? There is no break ever. Ever. And when they go to bed at 8.30, then they come in and they ask for a second glass of water and a third glass of water. Or if you're like us this week and they wake up vomiting, right? 
kids just, it just keeps on going and keeps on going. And what do they want from parents when something bad happens? Comfort. How many of you know, though, if, if, you, if you've had a hard day and things are, t- things are tough for you, you've had a bad day at work or something, the last thing in the world you want to do sometimes is sit your little kid on your lap, comfort him, put your arms around him, tell him a few stories or something like that. Especially if it happens, the problem with kids is it happens a hundred times a day. You can't get away from it. It just keeps on going. Well, what this says, if he's a God of all comfort, what that says to me is he doesn't ever get tired of comforting us. He never gets sick of it. So when you and I go through suffering, one of the things that really comforts me is to know God is ready and willing and able to comfort us in everything. You mean all the bad things that happen? Yep. Everything. And one of the things that our pain gives us the opportunity to do, since we can all agree we're going, we're going to go through pain, one of the things that our pain does, that we have an opportunity is, When we go through pain, we have an opportunity to be just a little more like Jesus. Now, let me explain that. I won't ask for a show of hands, but as you understand Jesus' power, is anybody here walking in the kind of power that Jesus had when he was here in the flesh? I mean, great stuff happens. Miracles happen. We do stuff. But anybody here, don't raise your hand. Because they'll make you the pastor. But anybody here ever lay hands on a dead guy and have him raised to life? Not yet. Not yet. Anybody here ever ever put spit and mud in a blind dude's eyes? Tell him to go wash in the pool and he come back seeing? Nope. Okay, now here's the tough question. Anybody here got your act together as well as Jesus has it together? Nope. In fact, I'm so far from looking like Jesus, sometimes it frustrates me. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I look more like the devil. Don't tell anyone, all right? But sometimes I do. And yet, in suffering, I can be like Jesus. Because Jesus suffered. He went through stuff, bad stuff. In fact, the Bible teaches he went through All the same kind of stuff that we go through. Anybody here have family problems? Jesus had them. His brothers thought he was insane. His mother thought he was insane. Right? Anybody here have uh, problems professionally? Suffer you? Anybody have professional pain? Boy, that hits a man right where it counts, doesn't it? Right? Jesus had professional trouble. He preached a sermon one time. There's a thousands of people there and he said he made the the uh, I won't say an error but he made the interesting choice of saying you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and everybody ran except the 12 let me tell you something if we drop from the 500 or so we have coming here to 12 in one sermon I'm fired right it's all over I'm going back to Georgia that happened to Jesus he had professional professional pain He had pain where he spoke to people over and over about the same thing like we do to our kids and they still didn't do the right thing. He'd been through splits and relationship trouble. He'd been through physical pain, obviously. Suffered more physically than anyone ever. 
Look at, uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah real quick. says chapter 53 verse 1 it says who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him there's an interesting thing anybody ever have pain when you look in the mirror I guarantee you there's some people on the earth that like the way you and I look. Maybe not everybody, but I'm somebody's type. At least one girl that I know of. Right? Jesus says he had nothing. He had no beauty. There isn't anybody walking that has no beauty. Right? Or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Now, why am I reading this to you? To tell you that when you and I suffer, when we go through pain, we have an opportunity to be just like Jesus. He suffered. He was despised. He was rejected. So when I suffer, even though it's nothing like the suffering that Jesus went through, I mean, like I said, somebody likes the way I look. Right? Even though when I suffer, when I get up in the mirror and this part of my face gets wrinklier and wrinklier and wrinklier as I look in the mirror. Right? This Utah air, it's killing me, y'all. It's killing me. I can go, you know what? Whatever I go through, Jesus went through it. Whatever I go through professionally, whatever I go through relationally, whatever I go through financially, you think Jesus ever hurt for cash? Absolutely. That's why it says... We can identify with him. Look at this again. Uh, verse, three, verse, uh, verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by, man, by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Then it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, he took the suffering that you and I have. The same thing. He lived with it. He worked in it. He did stuff. And so when I suffer, when I go through pain, I can identify with Christ. Not quite the same. But in a little way, I'm more like Jesus because I go through pain. Uh, we do the set. We set this up every week, right? We get here at four thirty. Some people four thirty in the morning. Some people five. And I do that, although I'm usually late, right? But the thing about this, this is hard. This is suffering. Okay, and I would love to tell you that it's all joy and stuff because we need people, and I'd love to make a grand sell to you. But I'm just telling you right now. I'm being honest with you. This is hard. Getting up that early and doing this is difficult. But there's an interesting thing that happens or that seems to happen. As we suffer together, me and the other dudes and ladies that are doing this, we begin to identify 
with each other. We have something in common with each other. Vaughn's here, so I'll, I'll pick on him, all right? Because he has the best attitude of any of us, all right? So we come, in, we come in generally, and we start working, and this has gone on for months since we opened here. This has gone on every week, all the time. It never stops. And one day, Mike Seifert, for some reason, started playing music. And he played this song by uh, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Now, for you young people, just relax, all right? Us older folk, we know, you ever heard the song, Islands in the Stream? Islands in the stream, that is what we are. No one in between, how can we be wrong? Sail away with me to another world, and we rely on each other. Uh Uh-uh. From one lover to another. Uh Uh-uh. Right. Now, I am embarrassed to tell you. That song is my little secret pleasure, all right? It's, I feel guilty about it because I'm a musician. I'm a rock and roll musician. I like cool music, but for some reason, when he played that song, it took me all the way back to high school, and man, we were just glorying in it, right? Well, I thought it was hysterical. Well, then over the weeks, he plays this every week. So now it becomes sort of the unofficial theme song of the setup crew. So then a couple of weeks back, we're all working, and there's no music playing, and Vaughn, for some reason, just shouts out, Islands in the stream. And who could help it? I shouted back, that is what we are, no one in between. Pretty soon the whole room, well, pretty much the whole room, how can we be wrong? There's like five or six of us, and we're working, and we're suffering, but we got this in common. We have this in common. I couldn't grab that if we weren't suffering together. So it is with this. We have suffering in common with Christ. You frustrated by how little you look like Christ at times? So am I. But I have this in common. Here I look like him. We both suffer. Now, if you turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians... Paul continues on, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we, have rece- we ourselves have received from God. Oh, let me read that again. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Remember I said he's the God of how much comfort? All comfort. And he comforts us in how many sorrows? All our sorrows. Why? Well, this is a second thing that you and I can take away from suffering. It's a real positive thing about suffering. When I've suffered and I've received God's comfort in that pain, it's so much easier to stand with you and comfort you. When you live through something... It's so much easier to help somebody who's lived through that as well. If you're willing to. Since we know, we know for a fact we're all going to suffer. We can't escape it. It's part of being human. It's part of breathing. Might as well do something good with it. Take that comfort you have received from God in the midst of that pain and help somebody else. But you've got to be willing to do that. And you've got to be willing to approach somebody in pain, in the midst of their pain, and do whatever is necessary to comfort them. 
It's not easy. How many of you know if you're, uh, how many, never mind, don't raise your hand on this because I'm going to just be real candid with you. When I'm suffering, my first response usually is to disappear into a movie, like a two-disc set, right? Like, or the whole Godfather trilogy, or, the, or if I'm really hurting, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And just disappear into another world. Now, my wife, she's not here so I can talk good about her, all right? She comes in, she can tell I'm suffering. I struggle with it. I battle this, this uh, emotional roller coaster. I'm either way up here, woohoo, or way down here sometimes. I'm not an even keel kind of a guy. And my wife, she can spot it. When I'm down here, man, when I'm in the doldrums, she knows immediately. And then she sets about comforting me. Funny thing is, when I'm suffering, strangely enough, I don't want her to comfort me. This is how it works in our house, all right? The doldrums are disallowed in our house. She'll let you go for a little while. And how many of you know that women are sort of the mood setters of the home, right? So she comes in and she sees the mood as it is. She'll let me go for a little while and then, okay, all done. And she puts her little warrior hat on and she puts on the most god-awful music you've ever heard. Now my wife is, uh, she's, she didn't grow up in the burbs like me. She grew up in town. You get what I'm saying? In town. So she likes... She likes R&B. She likes the music that she grew up with in her neighborhood. No offense to you guys who like R&B, but I hate it. I hate it worse than country music. Yeah, I said it. I mean, I'd rather go to being hit over the head lessons than listen to my wife's music sometimes. And she picks this music like from this church in Texas, right? And she has this one favorite song. So when I'm in the doldrums, and since doldrums are disallowed in the Olsen house, she lets me go for a little while, and she turns on this one song. goes, I got a testimony. It's a real funky kind of beat, you know? And she, and she used to be a cheerleader, and cheerleaders know how to clap, so it's incredibly loud, right? So she's like singing, I got a testimony. Hear me while I say, God has been so faithful taking care of me. Which, as a songwriter, songwriter, those lyrics are truly offensive, all right, to me. You don't rhyme, say, and may. You don't do that. But she, immediately, she just starts that, and then she gets the kids in there, and Dylan doesn't understand the words quite, so he says, the, the words are, I got a testimony, hear me while I say, God has been so faithful taking care of May, and Dylan comes in there dancing with her. I got a testimony, hear me while I say, God has been so painful (laughs) taking care of May. And so she starts this thing, right, and immediately, you know, initially I'm like, could you just leave me alone? This guy's about to get shot in the head, the movie's getting good, can we just, you know, go away? But she does not put up with it, and that loud clapping, and she just keeps right on coming, right on coming, and then the kids come, uh, and Pretty soon, I, I, I drop a little smile on them just to make it stop sometimes. But I drop a little smile on them. And just knowing, now hear me, just knowing 
that she will push through my sadness, my pain, even when I don't want her to. She'll push through it until I'm comforted. That bad singing, those stupid lyrics, if, if, they, if you keep on pushing, eventually I'll get some comfort out of that. And the reason she can do that is because she had friends who would comfort her when she was down. And hopefully she has a husband who would comfort her when she's down. And so because she's experienced comfort from me and others, she understands you got to push through the sadness. You got to bring joy when there's just sadness. And you got to keep going. And she's lived with me long enough. She knows I don't want her to. Too bad. She just keeps right on coming. Well, that's, that's, that's one of the great things we have about suffering. Because we've suffered, because we've had pain, and we've experienced God's comfort in that pain, we can deliver it to people who are going through that as well, if we're willing to, because they're probably not going to want us to. How many of you know somebody in your life, and I'm going to just leave, I'm going to put this challenge out to you. I was going to wait till the end, but I'm going to put it out to you. You know someone in your life who right now is going through pain that you can do something about. You may not be able to fix the problem, but you can bring them some comfort. It may be something as simple as you call them up and you take them out for coffee and they'll resist you. They will resist you. But you just keep right on coming, right on coming. And you don't quit on people until you are an agent, a vessel for God's comfort to pour through. Now we started the service with this video from these, uh, this family at Elevation. We sort of left it halfway through because I want you to see the results and the things that happened and the things that they learned and the comfort they received through this whole process. We recorded this on video as well. So watch this. At first I just had to talk to God about everything. Everything that was going on. And when everything first started happening, I didn't. And then when I finally did, it was God telling me, I've blessed you with something so beautiful and so rare that not everybody gets to have something like this. Not everybody gets to go through this. And not everybody do I bless with a child like this, but I did you because I knew you needed it, and I knew that you could handle it, and I knew this would be special for you. You know, things like this, I really believe it does one of two, it can do one of two things. It can, uh, it can separate you from God and from your marriage, or it can bring you closer. And uh, that's one of the first blessings he gave us, um, is he brought us closer. I mean, with your walk with God, I always feel it's kind of, there's the up and downs. But uh, going through this, your, my up was a lot different than any other up. I mean, the, the connection and the closeness and the, uh, the faith you had to have in Him, I mean, it just, my, it just skyrocketed at that time. Um, and it was just huge, and it brought us closer together um, because it's something special that we've went through. It was a t- tough time for us, but we went through it together, and we had really had to rely on each other. 
and uh, we did that. And uh, I really think that was one of the one things that God um, used this situation for, for sure. Well, we met another couple, and they're from Florida. They had come out to visit Elevation for a little while just to hang out with us. And we had found out that um, they had twin babies and that one of their babies had had, or the twin that was here, had had some complications. And then later on I found out that the reason why their other twin wasn't here was because um, he had passed away from trisomy 18 also. And I just got to enjoy them and talk to them about everything God had given us and how great things were and how God had blessed us with a trisomy baby and that it wasn't a burden and that it was a blessing and it was something God had given us that was special and just got to talk about Kenneth with them and to us Kenneth is, uh, I mean he's in heaven and he's with Jesus and so to us he's great, you know, he's whole and he's not sick and he's there's nothing wrong with him right now and so we just got to share that with them and I didn't know it at the time, but later on I had found out that it touched them more than I had ever even known it would have. That they um, weren't to that point where they could get through a lot of things like that and that they were having a really hard time with it and that our story with Kenneth just blessed them to see it in a different way. Two years later we uh, were blessed with Boston. Um, there's still those nervous, nerves of, okay, what's What's this child going to bring to us? And, um, scary. And uh, first thing, um, when baby Boston was born, he uh, he was struggling breathing. And uh, I'll tell you what, we were we were a little nervous, but they took him back. Um, spent some time in the NICU, um, but he has he's been such a blessing to us ever since. catch that? What was their response? There was probably some why, God, why. We didn't hear much about it, though, because they, they weren't majoring on that. Maybe they understand that knowing why doesn't bring their little baby back. Or maybe they're just, they're just more grown up than me. I don't know. But there's a, there's a witness there. There's an example there. One of the things that, that the, the mom said, I just had to talk to God about everything. Now, let me ask you, I mean, is that our first response when we go through bad stuff? The husband said, suffering, pain can do one of two things. It can drive you to God or it can drive you away from God. It can drive you to God and each other. Or it can drive you away. And the choice of what that suffering does, since we know we're all going through it. Well, it's up to, it's up to you and me, isn't it? I want to leave you with this thought, though. So, things we can take away from suffering. When we suffer, we identify with Christ. We're a little more like Jesus just by suffering. And when we suffer and we receive God's comfort, we can then give that comfort to other people. And you saw some of that in that video too. 
But the first step is we have to receive God's comfort. So how do I do that? Because that's the real trick, isn't it? If it says God is the God of all comfort. Everybody say all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. All our troubles. Then we should be able to go to Him and receive that comfort when we need it. Now, there may be times, and I've, I've gone through times, when bad stuff went on, and for a while, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't see God in it. I remember uh, maybe top three or four hardest things I've ever been through, and some of you know a little bit of my story, but, you know, my father passed away from cancer too young. And, you know, he lived long enough to raise us, and we were all grown when it happened. And it was a long, drawn-out affair, and he beat it once, and then it came back. And we had never been through anything that difficult as a family, never. And you got to, uh, just to preface this, I mean, he was a good guy. He didn't deserve it. He was a good man. Just raised his family, just, you know, paid the bills. If you ever need anything, you call him. He was true, one of these true north kind of guys. You were in a jam, you called him, he would get you out. Most of you fathers in here are like that as well. This is how he was to me. And I actually, I didn't just love him, I revered him. You understand what I'm saying? I revered him. And so he ends up in the hospital with cancer again. And this time it it progressed very fast. It was like a month. And it was one of these things where you go and you visit somebody in the hospital every day. And many of you have been through this and you can relate to this. But you understand the pressure. Now here I am. I'm I'm a young married man. I I got a kid and one on the way. And this pressure the hospital would call and they would say, you know, things look really bad. You better get here. And I'd load up and I'd, I'd go there and I didn't want to, but I'd go. And then things would turn around because we were praying. See, what, the way I understand God, good stuff, God. Bad stuff, the evil one. Cancer, bad. This is the way I, this is the way I get it. And I'd been praying and praying and praying. And the kind of church that I came from, you got to understand, if somebody had cancer, is by the stripe, that, that passage we read in Isaiah 53 was, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. You're healed already. So when someone gets sick, you pray and you believe, you, you stand on that word and you believe and they'll get healed. I understand it now to be a little more complicated than that. But back then, this is what I was holding on to. And I remember, it was the middle of the night. We'd been through this whole thing for like a month. And he'd had periods where he was up and periods where he was down. And we'd just kind of ridden the roller coaster. And one night they called me and they said, it looks really bad. You better get here. And I, I got to the hospital. And I remember my dad. My dad was a huge guy. Big, you know, big, big guy. Strong. Biggest man I ever knew. And he's laying in bed, and he's, they'd given him some kind of agent that paralyzes him so that they could do work on him or something. I don't understand all of it. And the thing about medical doctors are so brilliant now, they can just give you stuff, and they can keep you alive even when you're not supposed to be alive. You follow that? I mean, they got drugs. They can keep your heart going. I mean, they're so advanced, and they can just keep pumping you full of stuff, 
and you'll just keep right on living, even though maybe you're not supposed to. And it, I remember my dad, he was laying in bed, and he's all swollen up, and he's paralyzed, and he's got this tube hanging out of his mouth, and he's, he's, he's pumped up on all these drugs. And his heart, it's, it's dropping, but he's still going, you know. And this young doctor took us in a room. He's a really smart guy. And he said, listen, and I don't know what his motives were in it, and I don't care at this point. But he said, listen, your dad has shown signs where he's rallied some. And then, but overall, in general, it's been a general decline. He's dying. He's dying. Now, they can keep these drugs going on and on and on and on and on. Now, you understand, I prayed. I'm holding out for a miracle. By his stripes, we were healed. And my mother's in the room, my older brother and me, and this doctor. And my mother, the doctor's basically recommending we take him off the man-made medications, and then we see what happens, right? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Please don't judge me for my choices here, okay? I'm just going to tell you for me and what happened. So my mom, she's a wreck. She does she doesn't, want to te- she doesn't want to take the drugs off him. She's holding out for a miracle. My brother, he's a wreck. He doesn't want the drugs taken off him. He's holding out for a miracle. I'm a wreck. I'm holding out for a miracle. And my mother can't make the decision, and the doctor's pressing her to make a decision. And she can't. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, something hit me. Not in the head. Right in the gut. Right in the gut. It is far better to fall into the hands of God than the hands of men. Now, you got to understand, that's a story, that's a passage that I had studied a few times, completely out of context for this. It was a completely different thing, which was weird. They beat me up in Bible school about that because God doesn't speak out of context of his word and all these different things, you know, and they would probably beat me up about it. And maybe some of you would, don't, all right? This I know, it, I know it was God. It's far better to fall into the hands of God than the hands of men. So I looked at my mother and I said, Ma, why don't you go ahead and just let me make the decision? And then I'll carry the responsibility for it. I've got to be careful. I'm going to get emotional here. All right. I said, I'll carry the responsibility for it. I'll bear the weight of it. And strangely enough, my mother agreed. She's so stubborn, she would never have agreed to something like that. But she said, you know what? I need somebody to carry it, so yeah. And I turned to the young doctor and I said, keep him comfortable. Take him off that stuff that's keeping his heart going. And we'll just see. We'll leave him in the hands of God. And just like those, those parents, in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, maybe... Maybe believe, maybe God will fool us all. He'll come through. And it was 30 minutes and he was gone. Why did he go? He's a good guy. Why bad stuff happened to you? You're reasonable people. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I do know this. God was with me in my suffering. He showed up 
like a champ. And because I know that for me, I know it for you. God is with us in the middle of our pain and our suffering. But what if my suffering's brought on by my own decisions? He'll jump in there too. What if it's by other people's decisions? That's okay. He'll jump in there too. What if it's stuff that I can't explain, it just happens? He'll jump in there too. So my encouragement to you today, and I'm going to end right here, is to pursue God's comfort with all you've got. Chase it like it's your life. When you're going through something rough, don't use that as a reason to drive you away from God and drive you away from other people. Use that as a reason to go toward God, to seek Him, to cry out to Him, God, I need your comfort. Bring it to me now. And if it doesn't come, try again. Until, and I'm very confident of this, God Himself will speak to your gut the way He did to mine. And because you experience that comfort, here's the other challenge. Comfort somebody else. This very week, this very day, decide. You know someone who's suffering. You've tasted some of that suffering. You're going to try to do something to make it better. Make their world better.